0: It's time for the 3304 Sports Podcast with your host Dan Steinbeck, Colbert Bergstrom, and Ishan Lambo. Welcome into the 3304 Sports Podcast. I'm your host Dan Steinbeck. I'm joined this week by Colbert Bergstrom and Ishan Lambo. We are welcoming him onto the program, uh, gentlemen. How are we doing today? I'm doing pretty well.
1: How about yourself?
0: I'm doing excellent. Thank you very much Uh, to all our listeners. We thank you for coming back, Uh, especially after last week's episode. You know, it got a little long. We got a jam packed show for you today. So hopefully, we don't hit that nearly two hour runtime once again. Um, Got a lot on the docket for you today. And I want to start off with this. So, the MLB season started yesterday. We are recording this uh, Friday, April 2nd. So, it is coming out the same day we are recording. So, baseball started yesterday. And already, we've got some very interesting stuff that I uh, saw. So I'm a Detroit Tigers fan. And after the game, uh, they played the Cleveland Indians and on Cleveland TV, I'm going to go with uh, their regional broadcast. Um, This clip kind of went viral of one of their analysts just going off. They had a live caller into a TV show, which I did not, which I mean, I I haven't seen. I usually see callers call into radio shows, but they had this guy call into a post-game show and they're, commentator their analyst in the span of 30 seconds called this dude an idiot five times it was great it was a great rant um I don't even know what the guy was talking about or if he even warranted it but basically what the commentator got from it was that this Indians fan is already taking uh, a loss to the, the Detroit Tigers in April the first game of the season when it was snowing in the first three innings uh he's already taking it very seriously and already writing the season off so the commentator did not appreciate that and pretty much mocked this guy's uh sense of where this um, season was going to go for Cleveland and kicked them off the show. And it was really great. He called him an ignoramus, which I thought was a great use of vocabulary. Um, And then there was this. So the Dodgers were playing yesterday and Cody Bellinger, he hits a home run, right? Hits it over the left field wall. And he's doing a trot. But the problem is the outfielder, I forget who they're playing, but the outfielder, he actually touches it, but it falls out of his glove. So it's a home run, but Justin Turner, turns around because he thinks it's a caught ball. He turns around while he's running the bases and Cody Bellinger runs past him. Now, I have no idea what this official uh, scoring rule was, but there was an out and it was ruled a single and a run scored. I have no idea how that works, but it just happened. And I'm pretty sure it was a single, a a one run home run. And it basically explains uh, how stupid some of these baseball rules can be. And how frustrating it is to watch MLB because sometimes crazy stuff happens and it's, it just makes the product very, um, I'll go with confusing because when stuff like that happens, it's like, okay, the guy hit a home run. Everyone should just automatically score a run. I I don't get how it's a dead ball. And why why does it matter where they're running? Honestly, they should just be able to turn around and walk back into the dugout if they hit it over the fence. Uh, So that was weird. So the MLB season is already off to a great start and also off to a great start are apparently the Washington nationals because their series with the Mets has just been postponed or was it straight up canceled? I don't know. It, this news has just poured in. Um, but COVID strikes again and we're having at least one team, uh, have their season off to a rocky start due to positives within their team. Uh, I, I think the Mets are dealing with some of this stuff too, but yeah, baseball one day in and we already got a couple storylines. So, We'll be sure to keep keep those uh, updated and you'll be sure to hear some of my opinions on MLB as the season moves along. Uh, A little bit of smaller news, uh, going to the NBA now. I guess you could say it's big news, but um, two free agent buyouts, Lamarcus Aldridge joining with the Brooklyn Nets and everyone on Twitter is freaking out about it because they're the super team now. Yeah, if you live in 2014. And Andre Drummond goes to the Lakers uh, after being bought out with the Cavs and everyone was thinking that whoever he ends up going to is going to be made so much better by his presence. And then after one game, he gets injured. <laughs> um, so i want to get your guys quick thoughts on that because I, I don't think either of these moves are really anything. I mean, listeners will remember when Colby Jordan and I were talking about Blake Griffin going to the nets and how I just thought it was kind of a nothing move. Cause he his game is kind of deteriorated. I mean, he's kind of, honestly, that's another storyline. Blake Griffin kind of being good again after just deciding to say he's injured and sitting on the bench for the Pistons. uh, And now he's playing with the Nets, and he's actually playing pretty good minutes. Um, Your thoughts on Aldridge, the Nets, and Drummond, the Lakers? I mean, I I don't know what to really make of either of these moves.
1: Um, Well, so since we started this uh, about a week ago, I mean, all I can think of for this is, um, to most of my knowledge, Aldridge is, like, uh, just overall a really solid big man, and he's pretty good, like, I think, defensively as well. So I think that that is decent, particularly if he's going to be in a rotation with – I think I remember before Blake got signed down, Jeff green was getting some good minutes. So if he's going to be in a rotation with him and Blake, I don't think that that's actually too bad of a move from the, like, like a rotational perspective. Whereas for the Lakers, I mean, I obviously you said what you feel about Andre, but um, I actually like, not because he like has to be a big player for LA, but I like Andre going to the Lakers solely for a rebounding purpose uh, they got some good sh- uh, shooters in Schroeder and LeBron. Uh, AD is also a good shooter as well, but now they have, like, two of – overall, I mean, two of the better bigs of the past, like, decade or really since they've been in the league from AD and Drummond. And I just think that those two are going to be a good pairing uh, if, if Drummond's able to stay with the team moving forward. Uh, I don't quite know the terms of these contracts. They might be, like, veteran minimums or something like that. So I, I just don't know if these guys are going to be able to stay for the long term um, from a monetary standpoint. If they are, I really like Drummond to the Lakers the most. If they aren't, then I mean, this is really just for this season, and if the Lakers get healthy, I mean, I like it, but that's, yeah, I mean, that's kind of about it from my end.
2: Uh, for me, I just think, excuse me, uh, I think that Aldridge to the Nets is kind of uh, as you guys touched on in a previous podcast um, in regards to like Blake Griffin, uh, they, they just have so much uh, superstar power over there. And uh, if all of them are fully healthy at the same time, uh, then that can sort of create a problem and uh, disrupt team chemistry if they, if they don't work out a system beforehand. Whereas for Drummond, to the Lakers, uh, he sort of, he has a little bit more opportunity to flourish there, um, especially now with LeBron out for however, he's, he's out for a while. Um, so he, he can, uh, sorry, uh, he can have a more active role in the team offense and the starting five.
0: All right, so that's basically your NBA talk for the week. I mean, look, I've said it before, I'm not really too big of a follower of the NBA this season. Uh, But I mean, I I know that these type of moves are splash moves and you hear about them on social media a lot. And I mean, these two teams have sort of been the favorites to win it all, but I mean, like Colby said, uh, there's some injuries with the Lakers. I mean, LeBron and AD are both out. So seeing uh, how they're going to do, I mean, if if they both get healthy for the playoffs, I mean, they're probably going to, they'll be underseeded, but they'll probably end up running back again. I mean, they're the best combination of players out in the West. Uh, I know that Phoenix has been playing really well. Uh, I know that the jazz have been playing really well. Uh, so kudos to them. But once it comes playoff time, it's like, it's, it's LeBron. You're, you're not gonna beat LeBron. <laughs> and in the East, I mean, that collection of players with, uh, Kyrie, Harden, Katie, if they're, if they're healthy, you know, Aldridge and Blake can just do, you know, nominal stuff and they'll be fine. Um, this is where this is the type of news that i find more interesting though um in the nfl i am more of an nfl fan than than an nba fan but the draft is starting to come up i mean the heat of free agency has sort of died down and we're getting a lot into pro day combine stuff uh and we're seeing all these freak numbers that i'm not even gonna get into but we did have two massive trades that went down both involving miami dolphins uh we did a um podcast a couple weeks ago where we focused on a uh, mock draft. And I was in control of the Dolphins. And I said that if I was not going to take Penezul, I would trade down no matter what. So this is kind of what the Dolphins are doing, kind of listening to my advice. And they decided to trade down. Their first trade was with the San Francisco 49ers, which was a big leap because they leapt up from 12 to go up to three. The Dolphins wound up getting uh, 12, uh, comp- a compensatory third round pick in 2022. And Uh, first round picks in 2022 and 2023 Uh, that the compensatory third round pick in 2022, I believe was for the 49ers. Uh, I I think the, I don't know what the term is, but I'm going to use the word grooming Robert Sala for a head coaching position uh, due to the new rule with minority head coaches and GM hires, how teams get rewarded for that. Um, And then the dolphins got back in the news, I think less than an hour later, they went from 12 and went up to six with Philly uh, Philly sends six and 156 to get 12, 123, and a 2022 first. So there's some news surrounding these picks, not only regarding the players, but also the situations as a whole. Uh, the players that they might pick with these new selections that they have. So the 49ers with this move, everyone starts to automatically jump on the assumption that they have that they're gonna take a quarterback. They're moving up, sitting at 12. You know, the four main guys in this draft are gonna be gone. And you want to move up, you want to get one of those premier guys, right? So everyone's talking about Justin Fields, Trey Lance. That's the argument. But then for maybe a spell of about a day, Mac Jones was the betting favorite to be the third overall pick. And as of right now, I haven't checked the updated odds, but as of most recently, uh, Lance and Fields are tied at first at plus 150 each. And Mac Jones is right behind them at plus 175. Uh, I've already voiced my opinion on Mac Jones on this podcast uh, in that mock draft. Um, I don't think he's, worth drafting. If I'm a QB need e team. Um, I mean, when I say worth drafting, I mean, yes, he's obviously going to get drafted. He's obviously good enough to get drafted. I'm saying if I have a choice between franchise quarterbacks, Matt Jones is not at the top of my list. Uh, he's probably a distant fifth behind these four other guys that are definitive to me, top 10 picks. Um, so yeah, that was, that's the thing that's going on. Matt Jones to the 49ers is probably some hype that's happening, but then also News leaked out that Philly made this move back because they couldn't move up to uh take a different quarterback. There was some rumors flying that they wanted to take a different quarterback and they would have to move up to get to do that. Uh so that just adds a whole layer of complications to the whole Jalen Hurts situation that they have going on. They just got rid of Carson Wentz. They have Hurts now. You know, everyone's talking about who drafted him. Was it Howie Roseman? Was it Doug Peterson, where's the confidence in Philadelphia? But now they move back, and not only do they not have the opportunity you now to take one of these quarterbacks, but they also uh, seem to have moved themselves out of the way to get some of the premier uh, skill players like Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, DeMont Smith. Um, one of those guys might be there at 12, but I feel like they're limiting themselves in choice. Now, there is the positive for Philly that with the Carson Wentz trade, and now with this trade, they could potentially end up with three first round picks next year. Um, but I I think it's just going to come down to how Jalen Hurts does in his first real full season as their starting quarterback. So I want to get your guys' opinion on these trades. What do you think of this Mac Jones rumor? What do you think about Philadelphia and Jalen Hurts? And what players do you think uh, these teams could now be looking at, at these positions now that they've moved around? No,
1: I'll I'll save my thoughts for after. Uh, If you want to lead with this one, go ahead.
0: Uh, yeah, sure. Uh,
2: like you, Daniel, I'm pro- I'm much more well versed in the NFL than I am the NBA. Um, I think this is a the, the trades that were made are extremely good for Miami. Um, I've been like, as as a Steelers fan, so I'm not even close to a Miami fan whatsoever. But I really, really love Brian Flores as a coach. Um, And I've loved pretty much every move that he's made since coming to Miami. And this premier draft haul that he gets from these trades, as well as, you know, not really moving that far back in the draft, I think this could bode really well for them. Um, In terms of uh, like San Francisco moving up to three, I mean,. They have to be taking a quarterback with that pick. It doesn't make sense for really anything else uh, because they're not a super O-line needy team. Um, They could be having doubts about Garoppolo. Who knows? Um, If if I were in the San Francisco front office, I wouldn't have made the move uh, just because I don't think it needs to be done. But, uh, but yeah, I think they definitely have to be going quarterback there. Um, I also agree with you, Daniel, that I think Mac Jones is basically just a glorified Alex Smith. So if, yeah, if I have a choice to take another quarterback or Mac Jones, I'm taking the other quarterback. Um, and so I think depending on how the Jets go, we don't really know. Could they be going with a quarterback? Could they go with uh, Panay Sewell? um if they do take quarterback then that sort of limits San Francisco's choice but if they go with Panay, then pretty much anyone aside from Lawrence is open for the Niners to get and i think that uh honestly in their offense i think fields might be a good fit uh he has a little bit of like concerns with how he plays in the pocket but he definitely has room to grow uh he's mobile that works well in san francisco's offense because kyle shanahan likes to run a lot of misdirection with um blanking on his name debo samuel um and so yeah so i think justin fields would be a good pick colby and if i could just jump in
0: here before you uh say oh, anything go ahead. Go um ahead. uh Ishan, I think I'm going to disagree with you. I do think this is a move that needs to be made only because I'm not that high on Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, But I do like that you brought Garoppolo up because uh, I think Kyle Shanahan, it was either Kyle Kyle Shanahan or an executive that came out and straight up said, you know, Garoppolo is our quarterback and this move doesn't change anything. And I'm going to just flat out call that wrong because you're not giving up all of that capital to move up to three, to take a skill player uh, I mean, they could, but it'd be a very stupid move and they could definitely have gone up somewhere else to do it. And at the end of the day, the only player on, in my opinion, and in most other opinions, that is not a quarterback that you would give up that much to trade up to get is Panay Sewell. But you just, you just paid Trent Williams all that money. So you're not doing that. So pretty much it's quarterback at number three, that's going to be the pick. Uh, I think that we could definitely see that that was a smokescreen comment, uh, yeah. by the 49ers. They're definitely taking quarterback and Jimmy G is not going to be in town for long if it ends up being a situation that everyone loves to do now where you have a guy that's been starting and you sit a rookie behind him for a year, you know, go ahead and do that. But Garoppolo is not going to be the quarterback in San Francisco for long. Uh, Colby, I'm going to throw it to you now.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I mean, um, part of the thing is, is we've been entering the mock draft season. Uh, It's been talked about a lot of how like these top five quarterbacks are going to be going in the first six picks and that not all the, Teams are like, you know, that are up there need a quarterback. So it's necessarily who's going to be trading up to get there. Um, it's been kind of thought about who's going to be doing it. And a lot of this stuff's been San Fran because of uh, stuff that came out about Garoppolo um, in the news. Um, from what I remember seeing in news reports um, recently, is that it's like Garoppolo is like, oh, we're going to have a fight for the quarterback position which is not what you should be saying about someone who you just gave a huge contract. So with those types of reports coming out, it kind of felt pretty certain that San Fran was going to be trying to trade up to get one of these quarterbacks here pretty soon. Yeah. Just like when those reports came out a couple weeks before this trade and lo and behold, they trade up to the third overall pick value wise. Um, I even kind of jokingly have talked about this, uh, Two Chris GMs, Chris Ballard and um, Chris Greer, Goats, amazing at what they do. To, for Chris Greer to be able to get the value that he got, I mean, it's almost like uh, the RG3 value that happened back in uh, 2012 because that was um, a few first-round picks from Washington's end. Actually, it may even be the exact same trade, but like value-wise. And for Miami to be able to get that for someone that they certainly were not going to take with uh, having two Tonga bailoa. Um, that is an excellent deal for them. Uh, and then for San Fran, uh, something that actually Sean brought up that I actually like as well is if the Jets decide to not even take quarterback and hold the spot and take Panay Suell, or if someone else trades up to go ahead and take him, uh, then there does come the part that San Fran could have four of the other top five quarterbacks to look at since it's pretty guaranteed, as we've been saying, that Lawrence is going to go to Jacksonville, kind of like what happened with Burrow since he last year. Like, it's it's going to happen. So, I mean, my thought process is, in which this is something that um, has been coming out uh, when they've moved up to the pick. Like, I think Kyle Shanahan was, or like some San Francisco representatives were at the Mac Jones Pro Day. Um, I don't think others were. Uh, like they were at like the other quarterbacks' pro days, like Justin Fields and Trey Lance. Um, we've talked about how we don't rate Mac Jones as highly just because he doesn't have the um, dynamic, uh, like skill set that someone like Fields or even Lance has. Like he's not extremely mobile comparatively to them. Uh, his arm isn't like the the greatest thing in the world. It's a good arm, but it's you know like it's kind of you can rate it with the others. So it is a little confusing for the Mac Jones rumors, but it does make sense because he does fit in Kyle Shanahan's system. Um, It's something that people have been bringing up for a while, which is why even in mock drafts without trades, Mac Jones was ending up in San Fran pretty consistently. Um, And something else that's been talked about, which we found out with the Zach Wilson thing, when Zach Wilson was ranked by one of the scouts, the number one uh, overall prospect and the number one quarterback is that these scouts do rate players differently. So San Fran could be hearing noise like in their scouting department and could be getting concerned that someone like Mac Jones, who they might want, or maybe Trey Lance or uh, Justin Fields, like was projected to be going around like four or five. So they were wanting to trade up and they're like, hey, we want to get that pick. We want to be able to make sure we get our quarterback. We can't let him have, we can't have him like fall. So uh for what value they gave up it makes sense for um like like Miami like Miami got really good value for the deal and for San Fran to move up that far it makes sense the quarterback I would take if you're going to be having it as like a toss-up in the training camp um I've talked about uh how much it feels like Trey Lance has excellent potential um so if you want to go for something to where it's like oh Garoppolo could start if you don't feel if, if you somehow don't feel like you're out on Garoppolo, I would say take Trey Lance. Otherwise I do agree with you on a hundred percent. Justin Fields makes a lot of sense. Uh, and you have a really good O-line for him anyways. Like or, like not maybe not really good, but still you have Trent Williams, who you just paid like, what is it? The biggest non-quarterback contract uh, in NFL history as of today. And... Um, on the right side you have McGlinchey who's still solid and you have a pretty good line in general like you got a decent line you got good weapons you got some good running backs I think you do have a system for someone like Fields to come in and succeed but we've talked about how Mac Jones since he's at Alabama also has a really good system to succeed so I I do agree that like it's, it's weird. It makes me concerned that Mac Jones is going to be picked third. It feels like the Mitchell Trubisky type of thing where it's like people rated Trubisky highly, but for people on the outside, I think a lot of people are thinking, come on, it's, it's got to be Deshaun,
0: right? Yeah. Right, right. I, I totally get what you're saying. That's a good comparison. Uh, I did want to update those odds because I didn't look at them live. Um, so I think the last time I looked at those odds, I'll, I'll call it Tuesday. Uh, these were since updated, and this is from DraftKings uh these were updated thursday and uh earlier in the show i said that mac jones or not mac jones that trey lance and justin fields were tied at 150 well now justin fields is leading the pack at plus 125 now mac jones is in second at 150 and trey lance is now all the way up to plus 200 so they're Mm -hmm. falling back on trey lance but they're saying mac jones could still be very much in contention there
1: yeah no i i would be surprised if mac jones is out of contention i mean at this rate, I would be surprised if, like, any of the top five, like, you know, the five quarterback prospects are outside the top seven, eight picks. Yeah. I, I kind of think that that's where they're going to be all going because a lot of those teams are kind of nipping at the heels wanting to get, get their quarterback. There's a lot of quarterback moves that happen this off
2: offseason. So. There's there's a very good chance that we see one, two, three, four quarterbacks. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that's what ends up happening, honestly. I really do. I think Atlanta ends up going quarterback. Um Do I I think Mac Jones falls out of the top 10? Here's what I think. I think the only situation where Mac Jones is inside the top 10 is if, because I I feel like out out of the teams, I don't feel like Carolina would take him and I don't feel like Denver would. I feel like Denver or Carolina would both take Trey Lance. And the only way Trey Lance is available is if Mac Jones is one of the first four quarterbacks off the board. And if he's taken it by San Francisco at three, I think that's the situation that plays out where, mac jones is you know in that top 10 um I'm gonna
1: throw, I'm i mean, gonna throw maybe i'm wrong comparison. maybe Car- maybe
0: carolina or Denver are desperate and they just flip the switch because he's the best quarterback on the board
1: i'm gonna throw another uh comparison here on the board for you as well danny dimes daniel jones uh new york drafted him at pick six so only a couple of years ago now and the reason they drafted him at pick six is because they're hearing news and they're starting to get worried that like you know a team like Washington or a couple of those quarterback need teams were like, Hey, we're starting like Danny dimes now. So they took him at pick six though. A lot of people were saying like, you know, they could trade down for him or they didn't have to force Daniel Jones at pick six, but they decided to go ahead and take their guy there. So, I mean, that's another thing for San Fran, if they're really wanting Mac Jones and they're starting to hear those talk, that talk of he's going to go, maybe that's why they want to go as high as they did. Cause it's like, they want to make sure they get their guy. So I don't think Mac Jones falls out of that. I mean, at the very least, he's not going to fall out of the top 10. I don't think he falls out of the top eight. I think at least one other team's trading up, if not multiple, to get quarterbacks.
2: Yeah, and also, like you mentioned, like there's, there's all sorts of options for San Francisco at three. Um, they either have access, like they have a choice between four of the top five or three of the top five quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And you touched on uh, Trent Williams and McGlinchey on the San Fran line. They also acquired the uh, Falcons' legendary center, Alex oh, Mack. Absolutely, Yeah, and uh, that's going to be a huge addition. So with, with their uh, running back core plus speedy wide receivers, that seems to be their brand, Brandon Ayuk had a great uh, rookie season. I yeah. think that no matter who they choose, I think they'll be in good hands with Shanahan's offense, but there are definitely choices I would prefer over others.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that.
2: Um,
1: and just because I haven't even touched up on this yet, I do want to touch up on the second part of the deal of Miami moving back up. First of all, to any Philadelphia fans that listen to this, I'm I'm deeply sorry. <laughs> like, I do do I like the prospect of having three first round picks next year? Sure, it's a lovely prospect, but. I think you guys would agree with, like, you fans would agree with us when you when I say, like, you guys aren't going to get Jamar Chase now. And that's probably been what you guys have been eyeing up and what you guys have been so excited for. Last draft, you guys were getting excited for a possible trade up for C.D. Lamb or getting, like, a Jerry Judy or something like that. And this draft, you guys were like, it's Jamar Chase or bust. And it's, it's a bust. There's no way that Jamar Chase is going to be falling out of that top 10 from all that we've been hearing. About him, so I I am sorry for that. However, for Miami, this was yet again an incredible trade because first of all, they don't quite need the value because they are such a young team. Anyways, they've already had like so many first round picks and second round picks and stuff go. This year, they still have two first round picks and uh, two seconds, I think, along with a third as well. So they still have really good value inside that top one hundred. And now with trading up back to pick six, yet again, I brought up the Chris Ballard comparison earlier when he traded down a few years ago to the Jets. Jets got Darnold and he traded down. They wanted Quentin Nelson the whole time. They got Quentin Nelson. This is a situation where if the quarterbacks are going in the top four picks, maybe even top five, if Cincy trades down, you could get Panay Sewell. I mean, I don't think Cincy trades out if Panay Sewell's there, but you still have a chance of Panay Sewell there. And if not, you can get someone like Jamar Chase – who's been getting hypes up more and more and more. And he does look really good. He has a good build for a receiver, good speed and everything. And Tua does need that number one. So for Miami, this is great. For Philly, there's rumors that only not only came out that, first of all, they tried to trade up a little bit higher in the draft, which indicates that they were maybe looking to get a quarterback, which really concerns me. If you wanted to go Jalen Hurts last year, and then you then this year say, well, we want to trade up and get another quarterback. I mean, I've talked about it on this podcast. It's so silly to go ahead and draft another quarterback when Jalen Hurts was looking decent last year. So that, that was odd. But then now they're trading down At the for the good news for the Philadelphia fans, um, if, if they think this is good news. Um, I do think that this means that Hurts is going to be your starter next year. And I like him. So I think that's good.
0: Um, I think what you said right there is good um, about him being the starter because I, I, obviously I, I, them not trading up means that they're not getting contention for him.
1: Yeah. I mean, personally, I love it. I just don't know, like, I don't know exactly in the fan base how they feel about him. There's some that are like, oh, trade, trade, trade. There's some that's like, no, we need to keep hurts. Go to more chase. Um, it's just the bad news is they aren't going to get chase. They're going to get stool. Maybe they can get like a racial on Slater. Their line has been hurting for the past few years. Um, But really, I'm, I'm also even nervous if they're going to even get one of the top three receivers at this point. Um, no. I think when I was mocking, <laughs> I was just planning to say I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I think I had him with Devonta Smith when I was mocking recently, but I don't know. So it'll be interesting if you guys are still able to get a top three receiver, this works out well. But right now, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm nervous for you because there's a possibility you don't, and if you don't. That's another year of missing out on a receiver that you should have had to help your offense.
2: Yeah, I I think that first of all, Philly absolutely bungled last year's draft. But um, for this one, yeah, you kind of uh, threw away your chance at getting uh, Jamar Chase. But I think that, you know, looking at the teams who come before them, there aren't really many wide receiver needy teams i mean miami itself might take uh jamar chase at six but um i think like detroit i think they have more pressing needs carolina again more pressing needs denver yeah that's not really an issue because they they have been doing uh very well with their receiving core jerry judy is going to event i believe he's going to eventually develop into a very strong leader for that wide receiver room Dallas is loaded. They don't need it. Um, I would have had the Giants maybe taking uh, Devonta Smith, but they just traded for Kenny Galde. They could still get him and like surround Daniel Jones with so many like high-quality weapons that he looks like Patrick Mahomes. But I...
0: I don't think there's was... enough weapons on Planet Earth for that to happen. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, Devontae Smith to the Giants right above the Eagles at 11. I think that uh, that's sort of a toss-up. So, yeah, the, yeah the, the Eagles definitely have options there. It's obviously not the cream of the crop, but you still have a, a decent chance that Jalen Waddell is still on the board there. As Colbjorn mentioned, Rayshon Slater. Uh, they may also go for JC Horn uh, because that that defense is the, – the secondary is hurting just a little bit.
0: I mean, yes, what you guys are saying is true that there could be the opportunity for a wide receiver to fall to them. I think that the fact of just being at six originally and having the options available to you at that spot are obviously more valuable than hoping and praying at twelve. Yeah. Um but I, I, I get what you guys are saying. It's still it's still there. Uh at the end of the day, here's what at the end of the day, here's what's happening. Philly, uh Miami is making some moves, and I want to touch on this because I feel like at three, if it wasn't going to be Penay Sewell, I don't feel like they're going to move off Tua. So at that spot, it's like, okay, we're going to look at a skill player. Are we really going to take a guy like a Kyle Pitts or a Jamar Chase at three? Are they that special? Moving down makes a pick of a skill player more tolerable. It makes that value more fitting to the yeah. position you're drafting them at. Um, and then also, I think that this signal, like, yes, if you end up with a wide receiver, they're great. But at the end of the day, I feel like this could potentially be setting up Jalen Hurts to have a bad season. And it's sort of the same way that there's uh, Mm. been a storyline with Philadelphia fans of the front office sort of not giving Carson Wentz help. I feel like this could potentially be the same sort of ordeal uh, for Jalen Hurts and not surrounding him with the weapons. And I mean, Zach Gertz is on his way out. They're uh, shopping trades for him. Uh, So with Philadelphia, I I think that this is a move where it could work out you have all those picks next year but if this year doesn't go well uh will this be something that you point to as sort of the starting point for it or I, I mean I don't know I, I think it's just a confusing direction uh looking on from the outside um all right so yeah we got a lot of drop talk in there I wasn't expecting that to go that long but you know what it, it was a big blockbuster move and uh it was good talk about um so now there's this little story that i found interesting sort of in the middle of all this uh the united states men's national soccer team for the third straight time is not going to the olympics now for the for the most part i will claim ignorance and i did not know uh that you needed to qualify for olympics i thought it was just like okay you we have all the countries that are participating uh you have a team with your country you play in the olympics uh we'll figure out all the groups and stuff later so the united states missed again and the fact that United States men's national soccer is not great is not a secret. You know, uh, missing the World Cup, infamously uh, losing to Trinidad, and then having some—well, I'll, I'll just say—not a lot of success in the uh, World Cup. Normally, I mean, you can make it to a knockout round, but losing in the first game is typically what happens. Uh, I, I don't remember the last time they won a knockout game. I want to say was 2014 not 2014, uh, 2010, one of those ones. Uh, I feel like they've won one knockout game. Uh, but the United States men's national team is not nearly as successful as the women, uh, that much is clear. Um, but yeah, missing the Olympics again. And then when you, when I look deeper into it, I'm seeing that they're not playing Christian Politic and all the guys that they have that could qualify to be in their qualifying match, but they haven't playing a friendly. I mean, Ishan, I know that you're a, Uh, more of a soccer aficionado than I, so I want to get I want to throw this to you. I want to get your opinions. Why would the United States team not want to play Polisic and all these other players, uh, to try to make the Olympics? And even though they were able to get them out of their European contracts, they made them play a friendly instead.
2: Yeah, um, it's 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 honestly confusing to me as well. Uh, obviously. Pulisic, he plays in the Premier League for Chelsea. Um, it, the, the clubs are not required. They're not forced to release their players for um, the Olympics because it's not a FIFA tournament. So even though Pulisic is under 23, I think he's 21 or 22, I forgot. Um, so he could play for them. Uh, Chelsea isn't obligated to release them. And when, so currently we're in an international break, it's kind of winding down now. Um, so what, if it doesn't necessarily fit into their schedule or their plans, they, they can feel free to do whatever they want. And um, I mean, the, the U.S. men's team, obviously because of COVID, there hasn't there been many matches. Uh, they faced off against Trinidad and Tobago. Very early in the year, they got their revenge. They beat them seven to nothing. Um, yeah, and then they just played a couple friendlies, I believe, last week. Uh, Pulisic was a part of the friendlies. Uh, he wasn't a part of the the under-23 team. They basically, it's kind of like a tournament where there are groups, and you play each other in the groups, and the top two from each group advance. And so we played Honduras. Um, I don't remember everyone who played in the match. Uh, I know that
1: it was very U twenty three, right?
2: Yeah, it, it was U twenty three, and the
1: yeah. uh, only thing I remember uh, before you keep going is like I remember when I looked through the names, like it was there was like nobody I recognized other than like the young Achoa. Yeah, so.
2: yeah, we have we have our Ocho- He was he was honestly phenomenal in net in the group stage and in the knockout round. Uh, We, uh, simple truth, yeah, we just, we played poorly, we gave up two goals, one right before the half, one right after the half, and it was too much of a mountain to overcome, it's kind of disappointing, because in my personal opinion, I think that USA men's soccer, uh, I don't know what clicked, maybe it was that, uh, maybe it was not qualifying to the World Cup, but they, somebody A light bulb went off in somebody's head and they were like, we're done being bad. We want to be competitive on the men's World Cup stage as well. And so they've invested a lot into U.S. soccer. And I do believe that we are getting better. So this, this upcoming World Cup, I do think we'll qualify for. But it's, it's tough that we miss the Olympics for the third, third straight time. And also, I want to add on to that, uh, Daniel, you mentioned that it's been a long time since the U.S. has won a uh, knockout round game. If I am not mistaken, the last time they won a knockout round game was back in 2002 in the World Cup in Korea and Japan. Uh, they managed to beat Mexico in the round of 16, but after that, they either fail to get out of the group stage or they lose in the round of, six, round of 16.
0: Wow. So, yeah, definitely a long time. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm more of a loose – I'm doing more of a loose follow, uh, especially as we get the 2026 World Cup coming to North America, uh, to yeah. Canada, United States, and Mexico. I'm very excited for that. Like, I'm hyped for that. I'm, I am I want to go to a game. Uh, I want to experience that um, that atmosphere. But, uh, I mean, qualifications for Qatar are happening right now. Like, the first round, I just checked – it wrapped up last week. I mean, the United States was – ranked second in coca So, uh, they get a bye to the third round. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they actually can make it, uh, to the world cup this time. But I, I feel like each on what you said is right. I, I think that the youth that has been on display, I mean, again, I don't follow soccer, but seeing a uh, contribute somewhat meaningfully for a premier league team, uh, is at least hopeful that there's players like him and other talent on the United States men's national team circuit. Uh, that can help the United States national team go to uh, World Cups again. And as they grow older, I mean, like you said, he's still young. They still have a lot of young talent. Maybe they can grow into something and maybe make some noise when uh, the World Cup yeah, comes one, here in 2026.
2: One of my favorite uh, forwards on the team uh, is he, he's currently not playing with the team due to, due to some hot water that he's in over some past comments when he was younger. But um, he, uh, it's Paul Ariola. He, he played for D.C. United. That's where I first like started following him. And uh, I believe he's over – he's playing for one of the championship teams, which is basically like the second tier of English football. And uh, he was great for D.C. United as well. He was an effective striker. Um, and I'm hoping to see the sort of combination of Ariola and Polisic in the years to come.
1: Ariola just unfortunately uh... – I think Jordan Morris did as well because they both got called into Swansea in the championship. I'm pretty sure they both picked up uh, injuries and Ariola got recalled back to D.C. United because of that injury just this past week. But, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure they're both looking good there. Um, to confirm for you, Sean, yeah, in the 2002 uh, group stage, we did actually beat uh, Mexico in the round of 16 to then play in the quarterfinals and lose to Germany um, with our most recent World Cup appearance uh, being the... Unfortunate loss in added time against Belgium uh, back in Brazil, but no, I mean the, the biggest thing about the uh, U.S. men's national team going forward, uh, yeah, Daniel, is um the fact that uh, we have so many good players and so many young players that are going to Europe. Um, one of the things that I think is actually my header for my uh, third, three or four sports Twitter is that it's the all the US men's national like US men's players that are out in Europe right now, uh, no matter what league it is, it's one of the European leagues. And we have like 50 odd, which is I think the most we've ever had. We the one issue with US men's soccer, which is something that I've kind of known for a while, is the fact that the MLS isn't the best of leagues, if we're gonna be
0: honest. The they don't Oh do no, the MLS world. is horrible in regards to the rest of the world. Yeah. I mean, I can just look up you I can just look up world rankings right now, and I'm pretty sure the MLS is like in the twenties. Which is below, which I think is below the Premier League, second league. Like that's, oh. <laughs> like that's it's, pretty much saying like a whole league of professional baseball is worse than AAA. Like that's basically what the, the, MLS, the MLS is. Basically
1: is. retirement league. If you, if you know like Andre Pirlo and uh, Frank Lampard and all those guys who came over to the MLS like uh, middle of last decade, it was basically retirement league for them. They played their last couple of years there and they're done. So. The MLS has never been great for that, and it felt like we had so much of our U.S. talent come home, whether it was because the national team wanted them to or, like, the U.S. Soccer Federation wanted them to, I don't quite know. But I remember that that's where um, even, like, Michael Bradley, someone who was a great star for us, he was playing at Roma and getting decent minutes, and then he got uh, came back, like, I think, in his prime to Toronto FC, and he just fell off ever since he went to Toronto FC, at least for the national team perspective. So – The fact that we're getting all of these good young or even not even just young talent into Europe is incredible. And on top of that, it's the U.S. men's national team players that are like there's these young players that are getting good minutes. You have Serginho Dest, who's uh, got good minutes for Barcelona, to my overall knowledge. Pulisic, who I mean, he's currently struggling for minutes, I think mostly for injury sake, but he's done well in Europe. And you have John Anthony Brooks, who's always uh, kind of been one of those guys for Wolfsburg that you can rely on in the back line. Um, Zach Steffen, may say, like, you have so many good players um, that are American, that are in Europe, that are actually playing. Like, I can literally name off, like, it would take, like, a whole, like, 30 minutes to talk about each player and each of their accomplishments. So we're obviously not going to get into just that, but it's the bright side. And now that we have five years, because I don't expect anything world cup let's be honest france is in their prime um i i don't expect much but france doing well um but five years time when these players are hitting like the prime of their careers are hitting like good spots in their careers there's a lot to look forward to as u.s men's soccer fan. so it's it's very exciting at the very least for that is it disappointing to miss olympics sure but I, i guess at least we can focus on qatar a little bit more I don't I don't quite know the scheduling for international. That So that blows. But beyond yeah. that, I mean, overall, men's soccer talent is good going forward. We just need the federation to really be good behind them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I uh, pulled up the football league rankings. Um, now, I don't know who does these. I don't know if this is like an organization. Uh, but it says football league, ranking, football league rankings is a list of professional football leagues in the world and their strength. Uh, I don't know what these numbers mean, but... <laughs> According to this, um, both the Premier League and La Liga in Spain, um, according to these metrics, their worst teams are better than MLS's best team. So let's just I, – I mean, the MLS, we all know, is not good. So basically making sure that you have your yeah, best yeah. talented players getting over in Europe and actually playing real uh, competitive soccer is yeah, a good I, sign I for your know, national team sure. going forward.
1: I mean, looking at this list, I wouldn't, I wouldn't complain much about the leagues that are ahead of
0: us. Yeah. Right, right. But uh, but again, seeing the fact that England has uh, both the Premier League and English League Championship in the top 10, I mean, that's two leagues. That's a, that's a major league and a minor league is basically what those are. And they're both in the top 10. I mean, that's just, it, it screams to how far the United States is behind, but maybe they're starting to catch up now. Who knows?
2: Yeah, um, my, my one hope in life is that I get to see MLS reach a level of legitimacy on the world stage.
0: Mm-hmm. Hopefully that happens. Maybe you get someone in there that, uh, can run it well. Uh, I think that there's some, uh, problems down below too. I mean, it starts. I, uh, yeah. cause when I thought about this the other day, when I heard that, I went back to, um, that rant, that famous rant, uh, from 2017, when the United States lost to Trinidad, uh, it was Taylor Twelman, who is now hosting sports nation for ESPN. And he just gets on and he has like a solid three minute rant and it's very passionate, uh, about how the entire structure of soccer from like top down and like the play to play, the pay to play structure that the United States has, um, is just a failure all throughout. Yeah. And I think it's very, I think it speaks very truthful. And I think it's also where, um, a lot of other sports can maybe fail. I think that as someone who's played baseball, Uh, I feel like there is some aspects of that in there as well. And it's where you see other countries catching up to the United States Um, in terms of, you know, baseball skill level. I mean, you see Japan and Korea and all sorts of other countries uh, in Latin America, especially um, catching up due to the amount of talent and also the amount of resources that they put into it. But also the fact that if you're talented enough, you can play. And in the United States, I feel like there's a lot of uh, situations where pay to play comes into factor where if you're simply, if you simply can't afford the resources to play, then you won't be able to showcase your skills and we won't be able to have that pipeline of uh, players who can get through and eventually play at the highest level. Um and- Yeah, I, I found myself going back to that. And I mean, it's still one of my favorite rants and I'm not even that big of a soccer fan. So yeah. here hearing, hearing what you guys have to say about that was is really enlightening and I really enjoyed it. Uh, but now I want to turn to a little bit of more local news. Um, Colburn, did you have one last thing to say?
1: Yeah, I mean, all I was going to say was basically one of the things for the MLS as well, which uh, is seen in some other leagues, but not, I mean, as draining, is the fact of, I think we have it in a reverse way of you're limited to the amount of international players that you can have in MLS, rather than you have to have a quota of players from the same nation, which is an issue. Mm okay that's uh, interesting sure. it's not even correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure it's something along the lines of like you you're only able to have like a few players from international whereas you'll look in the premier league and how the premier league runs it is something along the lines of you need like i think 12 or so players from england uh like kind of like in and around your team like they don't have to start but they uh-huh. have to be there so yeah. you're kind of promoting your own talent whereas the, the u.s is like u.s first you want to get three all-star players that are good internationally go ahead but us number one yeah yeah
2: it's 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 really just upsetting yeah
0: Mm. all right well i want to get into some more local stuff some virginia tech focused stuff um i mean wow we've gone we're almost pushing an hour here and we've only gone through let's see here one two three four we've gone through four topics and we still have a little bit of a ways to go so i want to kind of maybe speed run through some, some of this stuff here Um, because we have a lot still left on our plate. Um, Big news in Virginia Tech women's basketball, Asia Asia Shepard is staying. Uh, She is on track, or she has the possibility to potentially become Tech's leading scorer uh, in school history next season as she stays for another year. Uh, So big get for Kenny Brooks and the rest of his squad, Um, getting a player of that veteran leadership and that skill level, uh, give them another run, uh, maybe for another tournament. Uh, I'm sure that that will definitely be the expectation in that building, uh, make it back to the tournament, maybe take another tournament win. Uh, I know that that was a big milestone for Kenny Brooks uh, being here uh, due to the fact that COVID-19 canceled the 2020 tournament. I'm pretty sure it could have been his second tournament in a row, now his third, but going for a second straight year to the tournament with Asia Shepard going back could be big things for them. Uh, transfer news for Virginia Tech men's basketball, Jalen Cohn, uh, along with Joe Bamisil, who, after him after announcing his intents to transfer moved on to George Washington, Jalen Cohn also now in the transfer portal, uh, just today, I forgot to mark this down, but he dropped, uh, his top seven, I believe for the rest of the schools he's um, considering. Uh, Off the top of my head, Oklahoma state, Iowa state, I think Indiana was in there as well. So there are some schools that will obviously be vying for services, obviously very talented player. Um, and I wanted to look, I kind of threw myself into a rabbit hole last night because I was considering the three roster spots, uh, three scholarships that um, Tech still has available to give for next season. And if Mobisabidi and Cordell Pumsal decide to come back, I'm under the assumption that they won't. Even if they do, that won't affect the scholarship numbers. Um, so I, I was looking at the transfer portal because I'm figuring that recruiting has sort of died down and that sort of avenue just isn't where Mike Young could, go, could look to fill those roster spots. I looked through all of their transfer portal options. And I want to thank uh, Chris Arvin of VT scoop at two four seven for compiling this list. Cause I was kind of just going all over the place, looking at different sources. He put them in a nice little article uh, that gave me uh, a good chance to just sort of sort through everyone that they've been talking to everyone that they've been offering. And I'll tell you what I- I've mentioned before, how I feel that this team is missing just like that sort of, big man that can control the glass, play a little bit of defense, be some size, be a post presence. And Mike Young mentioned it as well. And he's definitely trying to address that. A lot of these guys are front court players, uh, big guys, average a lot of rebounds this past season. Some of these guys are, might be a little bit of a stretch of gets simply because they might want bigger roles than Mike Young might have attention for a transfer. Uh, but just some names to look at. I'm going to write off this list. And there are a lot of them. Uh, Noah Gurley. He's a popular transfer portal target. He's from Furman a SoCon school. So that could be a pipeline. Mike Young, obviously was a long time. SoCon coach with Wofford. Uh, No Gurley averaged 15 and six, but he was tearing it up the last few games of the season. Uh, I think he dropped 30 and 10, nearly had a triple double in one of his most recent games, but he was averaging over 20 points, over seven rebounds down the stretch of the season. Very talented player. Uh, I watched a quick highlight tape of him. He looks exactly like Justin Mutz, but his jump shot's a little prettier, even though he shoots a slightly lower percentage than um, Mutz does. Uh, So that's where, I feel like Noah Gurley and some other players on this list sort of fit that same role as a Justin Mutz. And it's where I'm thinking, okay, would this sort of player be a good fit for the school? But I mean, Noah Gurley is obviously a very talented player. Uh, he's going to get a lot of services, a lot of people offering for his services. I think he said that he's going to release his top 10 soon, something like that. And I had a lot of names interested in him, So that's a name to look out for uh, Tanner Groves NCAA tournament, sweetheart, the Groves brothers. Uh, Tanner Groves was the center for Eastern Washington. His brother, Jacob, also on the team, also a a potential player for Tech to look at in the portal. I I feel like they would be sort of a package deal. Colbjorn knows all about them. They gave Kansas all they could uh, in that first round game. Kansas obviously coming out on top in the end. Uh, But Tanner Groves, very good post player, uh, good rebounder. I'm not sure what kind of player he would end up being if he were to come to Tech. Uh, If he would be sort of that guy that plays a lot of minutes like he did at Eastern Washington, where he won big sky player of the year. But I feel like he could really be a piece where he could be a part of the offense. He could start, he could close out some games, but at the end of the day um, he he could maybe just be a, a gap player where Mike Young can then put him to the bench and let his smaller lineups go. And if he needs to go bigger, there's always that option. And I feel like a lot of these players to me personally, are kind of fitting that mold where it's a big that can start, uh, they can finish, they can be good for matchups. But at the end of the day, if Mike Young wants to run his three-guard offense with Mutz and Aluma up front, that's something you can do. And obviously you could throw another big man into the equation. Uh, and then his brother, Jacob's a wing. He's six seven, averaged nine points a game, but played really well in that tournament game. Uh, Jane Gardner, uh, East Carolina power forward, very talented guy, 6'7", uh, 235, averaged almost 18 and eight, uh, 18 points, eight rebounds. Very popular portal prospect, but it looks like he could potentially be going to UVA instead of Virginia Tech. Pitt is also a very attractive destination for him. Uh, A couple names that uh, Mike Young is big on that you might not be aware of uh, coming from smaller schools. Philip Rebecca is from North Dakota. He's a power forward slash center. He's around 6'9", in the 220s, averaged 17 and 8. He was second team all summit. This guy's got size. He's got some scoring prowess. Uh, so someone like that is someone that Mike Young could look at. Michael Durr from South Florida. He's seven foot tall, uh, two fifty. Mike Young has not had a legit seven foot guy that can just hog rebounds and you know control the paint, be big on the glass. Uh, I feel like that's a name that could really help this team out, especially as maybe a stopgap starter, someone that can close the game out, control rebounds, stuff like that. Just be a big body. Um, Terry Eason from Cincinnati and Parker Fox, Jacob Ogna, Chevik. <laughs> Uh, from Division Two and Valparaiso, uh, respectively, all in that 6'8 mold. That power forward that can play well, you know, score some points. They're all on the younger side. I believe Eason and Chevik are both either freshmen or sophomores, um, so they would be a multi-year commitment. And then Miles Johnson, Rutgers big man, 6'11", 255, two-fifty-five, eight points, but eight and a half rebounds, leading rebounder on this uh, list that I could see. Uh, so he would definitely be a guy that I think could really help out. And then of course, Kudus Mahab Wahab and Trey Mitchell from Georgetown and UMass respectively. Uh, we talked about them last time. I brought up the transportal. Those are just some names that I want to list. Um, I don't want to get too far into it because I don't want to emphasize a certain player. And then they end up not coming here. I- I'll just say this. If one of these players came to tech, I think that you're looking at a very different outlook for the season. Cause I mean, I've, I I'm of the belief that your top six guys going into next season, you know, Storm Murphy, graduate, uh, Tyrese Radford, Richard Jr., Nahima Nahe- uh Jr., Mutz, Richard Sr., Aluma, Richard Sr., Hunter Couture Jr. Those six guys and their experience and their skill, to me, can compete with anyone. And I think that those six guys, you add in a guy from that transfer list, maybe one or two. Um, I'm a little suspect of ball handling outside of Storm Murphy. Uh, Tyrese Radford can do a little bit. But in terms of like a bench guy that can come off the bench, be that, you know, point guard, uh, maybe like a Darius Maddox could grow into that role. If Mike Young says he can, I'm all for it. I'll, I'll trust in Mike Young. Uh, I, I just, another body would probably ease my doubts. Um, but like I'm saying, uh, those six guys plus a guy or two from that portal. And I think you're really looking at a good outlook for the men's team next year. Uh, obviously we'll wait for some of the news coming out, but I, I wanted to just bring up where the portal was at. Cause I found out a rabbit, I fell down a rabbit hole and I, uh, I got a little obsessed and I, I always love thinking about the men's team uh, and where the trajectory of the program is going. So I, I mean, yeah, that's kind of where we are. Uh, and we just kind of sit here and wait. There are some names that uh, pop out more than others. And obviously you'd love to get the best players on your team and make, make a run at something, try and repeat as a uh, top four players in the AC as top four team in the ACC, another tournament, maybe go a little deeper, uh, maybe even shoot for an ACC title, something like that. I don't know, but it excites me. It's just, it's just an exciting time uh, to be a Virginia Tech fan, uh, especially on the basketball side. Uh, I wanted to get into a little bit more college basketball news before we wrap up with a tournament recap and preview. And I'm going to throw a lot of this stuff over to, over to Kilborn because some of the stuff can uh, directly relate to him. Uh, Shocker Smart is out at Texas. He kind of just up and went out. I didn't hear anything about his firing, but he's just gone. They parted ways. He's now at Marquette, who obviously fired their coach Woj. Uh, Chris Beard went from Texas Tech to Texas to replace him. There's some rumblings uh, about that because Chris Beard has repeatedly said uh, how he's going to stay at Texas Tech when his name came up in other job openings. Uh, but now he goes to, I mean, it's a bigger program. Texas is a bigger brand, Texas Tech, Austin over Lubbock, all that stuff. Uh, so I, I think for him, career-wise, it makes sense. Uh, there definitely is some hypocrisy, though, in the fact that there are people that don't get outraged at that, yet will get outraged at you know, kids moving on to different programs and getting significantly better playing time, what have you. Um, so yeah, I just thought that move was interesting. Uh, Bill Self also in the big 12, he's getting a lifetime extension with Kansas. And then of course the big news here in the ACC, Roy Williams is retiring, uh, head coach of North Carolina, former head coach of Kansas. So I'm going to throw that over to I'll throw that news over to Kilborn because I mean, that's a lot of big 12 stuff coming at you. I mean, you got Texas, you got Texas tech, you got Kansas, you got Roy Williams retiring. He's a Kansas. He was a former Kansas coach. Uh, so I, I kind of want to get your opinions on the landscape uh, of all those coaching moves that have just gone down in the past week.
1: Well, I think we talked about Shaka Smart a little bit last week, I think. Um, and that was from um, some of the stuff that was coming out of the fact that he was looking at Marquette, which didn't make any sense because, you know, he just won the Big uh, 12 tournament with Texas. And uh, overall, it seems like he's doing pretty well there. But the one thing that we also brought up was Shaka Smart, which was very disappointing was the fact that um, he's only made it out of the round of 64 once with Texas. Uh, in in the times that he actually qualified for the March Madness, which I think he missed like one or two tournaments. But the, the fact that he'd only made out of the round of 64 once, uh, obviously I think was a bit disappointing for Texas. And I don't know if he got fired. I think it's just something where he uh, left the job just because I think they kind of found it. Uh, it was kind of like something that was getting talked up. So Rather than firing him, they let him go to Marquette. Um, But I think with the Chris Beard signing, someone who has been really good for Texas Tech, um, I mean, he's just been coaching the team for the past five years. And if you want to go ahead and entertain this real quick, in the Big 12, he's placed in order, eighth, second, first, third, sixth. That's pretty good for Texas Tech, particularly when uh, coming off like their past couple of coaches were uh, Tubby Smith and Chris Walker and Bill Gillespie. And for Texas tech, they didn't go as high as like, they were as high as seventh. Seventh was the highest Texas tech was in that past decade before Chris Beard came in. And then Chris Beard came in and he not only had him playing well in the big 12, um, of course, getting a big 12 title, being the team to uh, take the title from Kansas uh, as the longest running team, uh, Uh, what is the teams to win their conference in history. Um, But then he also got him to the natties. He had him as the runner up to UVA who won the last national championship there. They were the reigning champions. Now we're going to get new ones. So unlike Shaka smart, who had like one really great one run with VCU. And then I think he had some other like decent performances in March madness. Chris Beard is someone who not only has, Won the Big 12 overall, not just the Big 12 tournament. That's what Shaka Smart did. Um, but on top of that, he's also had in the past couple seasons pretty successful runs in March Madness. This year he lost to Arkansas, who made the Elite Eight. Um, prior to that, of course, it was the uh, the uh national championship game that I talked about. And then I think the year before that uh was 2018, where he made the elite eight. Um Yeah, he made the Elite Eight, and what I'm reading here is he made it uh, after Purdue and whatnot. So, like, he's someone that has shown in his – even his short stint at Texas Tech, because I I was wanting to do a little bit of my research uh, for Chris Beard here as well. Um, Like, he's someone that has kind of, like, been very quickly moving up the ranks for coaches, and he's been proving why. He's been really good um, with the teams that he's been coaching. So – Yeah, I think this is an amazing move for Texas. Uh, I thought they were going to go and get, like, Brad Underwood from Illinois or something like that. Um, Just kind of the meme of seems like Illinois coaches tend to come to the Big 12 after uh, they leave, though I don't think there's any sign of Brad Underwood leaving yet. Just kind of my kind of joking thought. But the fact that they got Chris Beard after he signed, like, a six-year extension, like, a couple years ago, like, just back in 2019 – it's a huge get for Texas, particularly getting it off of rival Red Raiders. Uh, for the Red Raiders, this puts them in a little bit of a weird spot. And then for Shaka Smart and Marquette, I mean, there's not too much for me to say there. The only thing is, is I, I would say that Marquette's probably a slightly bigger program than VCU. At the very least, they've been making their names known in uh, college basketball pretty frequently. So I think getting back to his roots um, and going through with a team like that is going to be great for Shaka. Um And maybe who knows? If he does well at Marquette, maybe he'll have another chance at a big team. So, I mean, all the best for him and for Texas Tech. It'll be very
0: interesting. Uh, I don't know if you can. I ask you something real quick. Yeah, go ahead. I this is just an interesting thought to me. Texas is thought of in the college landscape, and I know this is mostly due to their football program, but still, Texas is thought as thought of as a big as a big deal in athletics. So it's interesting to me how someone can move to Marquette and it's viewed as by, I've seen a lot of people say, this is a good move. Like Marquette is viewed as a better basketball school than Texas. Is that like a thing? I know that the big East as a whole, they don't focus on football because those schools don't have FBS football, but I mean, is Marquette really a bigger basketball brand than Texas? I would not say so. I think that Chaco smart just wanted to take a step back and maybe just try to I, I don't i don't know reevaluate uh maybe he just feels better in a smaller location i'm sure that a place like texas has some expectations uh so what are your thoughts on that i mean is texas a smaller basketball school than marquette i guess that's kind of just a short uh, way to ask that question
1: yeah it's a great question um i wouldn't say that the Marquette's like bigger than texas for basketball i i just think it's more the fact of um Comparatively to a team like Texas, uh, I mean, I, I think just the clear fact of this is that with Marquette, it's, I mean, like for Texas in the Big 12, it's very rotational. Who's good? I mean, back last decade, you had a couple times where OU was really good. Um, it, for Okie State, you had the years of uh, Marcus Smart and, gosh, why am I forgetting his, yeah, well, no, Marcus Smart, yeah. I, I'm silly with me. But uh, Marcus Martin now Cade Cunningham years. Uh, Baylor has been coming a lot more to the forefront. Uh, Kansas obviously ruled the Big 12 for years. Um, Kansas State has had their time. Like basically every everyone in the Big 12 currently, I think outside of TCU maybe, uh, have, yeah, I think literally just outside of TCU, every single one of the Big 12 teams have really kind of like been good and competitive. So I think with Marquette, it's, it's less the fact they're a big program it's more the fact that they're a little bit more recognizable because for the big 12, it's so um, topsy-turvy at times because Texas is really good now, but, and, and I think they'll stay good, but there's a possibility of like Texas or Baylor, like they'll take one misstep and that team's going to go from a top three, top four team, in the big 12, all the way down to eight. Because you have a lot of these other programs that are doing really well. I mean, think of all the really good big 12 teams that are there right now. You have like West Virginia and Bob Huggins who, uh, placed fourth. And like, that's the team that's been highly touted. They're a team that got a three seed. I mean, in the big 12, if you look at their rankings, uh, the like Baylor one seed, Kansas three seed, Texas three seed, West Virginia three seed, Okie state four, so on and so forth. So the big 12 is just a very like, like they're getting a lot more of the basketball respect that they deserve. So it's just, it's a little bit easier at Marquette to, look incredible because I think it's just Marquette is that good of a program. Whereas with Texas, as I said, it's very much one year you can be great, the next year you could be bad. So, I I think that's kind of more of that uh, part if that answers your question.
0: I'd say that it does. Uh, I think you made some good points there. Um, And I guess the only only other thing I have would be um, the fact that Roy Williams is retiring And that can sort of maybe open up a window for maybe a team like Virginia tech. I mean, I know that UNC still has a program is obviously one of those. It's the, it's the big two it's UNC it's Duke. Uh, There's a little bit of UVA in there, but that's only really thanks to Tony Bennett. Uh, I mean, it's UNC and Duke. They're the blue bloods of this conference. So with Shesky probably on the way out soon, Roy Williams on the way out now, I mean, there there could be some opportunity to strike uh, if you're, a Hokies fan. So that can make, uh, it seem a little enjoyable. Um, the potential for this program going forward. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like they're going to They'll get a coach. They'll obviously keep it running. Um, but yeah, Roy, Roy, Williams is gone. And I mean, UNC could maybe slightly fall back a little bit. Um, I mean, they haven't had the best seasons, uh, this year, last year, year before um but obviously we know how much of a powerhouse they are i mean a national champions just a few years removed uh so yeah roy williams is out of the acc
1: um and to even go in a little bit to that as well um well before i get into bill self obviously roy williams amazing coach um i mean you guys can see his accolades but to even talk about him here um he has three NCAA tournament championships, 2005, 2009, 2017. Um, He's made the final four, nine times. He's won the ACC nine times Uh, with Kansas. He won the big 12, four times. He's had three ACC tournaments, three big 12 tournaments all in a row um, for the big 12. Uh, And then obviously he was, uh, he was also in the big eight beforehand to uh, talk about the teams, uh, For his coaching, he had uh, North Carolina uh, as an assistant. Then he went to Kansas for a while. And then he went back to North Carolina for these past about, like, 17, 18 years. Um, Absolute legend of a coach. One of the best to do it. Incredible guy. Um, I even remember one of the things that came out recently, uh, which was after, I think, one of his, like, you know, in his rookie season, one of those few games for Kobe White and they talked about uh the fact that Roy Williams is at the game and that's one of the things that just shows as Kobe White said how much of a family Roy Williams kind of made UNC. You have all these gifts of him, him partying with the boys, uh you had him at that game where he went up and talked to Kobe and they had good things like I don't think I've really heard many bad things about Roy Williams. He just seems like a great man, great character, and it's it's sad to lose, you know, someone of like his importance to college basketball but I mean, wish him nothing but the best in retirement. He can go and enjoy. He can go watch a lot of his boys go and play some good ball. He's, he's coached some amazing teams and all, all to him for that. Um, and you said the, t- said something about Bill Self. So just to talk about that for a couple seconds. Um, Bill Self, I think he's kind of earned this. Uh, you can say all you want. You can say the fact of he doesn't have a like a litany of titles or anything, but Kansas doesn't even as well. The uh, fact of the matter is, is Bill Self has been an incredible uh, coach for Kansas. He's been great ever since. Uh, like, I think he was, one of the, he was one of those first names that came after Roy. I, I don't think he was the first, but I think he was um, around there. He, he might have been the first name after Roy, but he's been great to us. He's coached some great teams. Uh, he's put some great players in the NBA. Um, and I'm really happy to see him get a lifetime contract. I mean, I, I can't think of a team without Bill Self right now. So, I mean, I, I jokingly said on the podcast last week that uh, uh, you said one word to describe him. I said GOAT. Um, and I'm still willing to say that. And I'm still willing to say, like, you know, I'm just very excited to have Bill Self as our coach for the future. I mean, he's kept Allen Fieldhouse as a rock. He's kept our teams pretty solid. And even when our team struggle, like they struggled at a time this year, um, he was still able to pull through, you know, have them ranked i don't think we've really been unranked that long under bill self and we're still able to do you know something in march madness even with teams that struggled this team struggled this year we at least were able to get a win over eastern washington so and i even said how wishy-washy i was about kansas on here as well so the fact that we were able right. to get a win i'm at least happy for that
0: right right well there's colby and bergstrom with your big 12 power hour um so yeah, th- uh, thank you for everything that you got there. Uh, so I want to get into the end of this episode. Uh, try not to push uh, the time of this episode too far. We have, we, um, we just dropped a two-hour bombshell last <laughs> week, so might as well try to cut down a little bit on the time here. Uh, want to get into the recap of the tournament so far. Um, so we had the Sweet 16, Oregon State continuing to surprise everyone. They bounced Loyola, Chicago, 65, 58, which is very frustrating because the, the over on the game was 126 and it ended up 123. So I was frustrated at that. <laughs> if only they could make a couple more shots in the first half. Uh, Baylor got by Villanova, 62, uh, 51. Arkansas escaped Oral Roberts. Very exciting game. Down to the final buzzer, 72, uh, 70. I mean, Oral Roberts proves we're, we're going to get a 15 seed in the Elite Eight eventually. Uh, one of these days, it can't happen. Uh, Houston beat Syracuse. Beat them pretty handily. I mean, a 16-point victory. Uh, Very surprising to me. I thought Syracuse would put up more of a fight. Gonzaga just destroyed Creighton uh, 83-65. to Michigan handled Florida State 76-58, to and that was where I was feeling confident in my repick of Michigan going to the Final Four. Uh, But then we'll get into that in just a second here. Uh, UCLA beat Alabama in overtime. Alabama with a game-time three at the end of regulation. Very exciting, but they just could not get it done. Uh, USC took down Oregon in the Big 12 battle, uh, beating them by 14. And then in the Elite Eight, uh, Houston survived a late run by Oregon State, beat them by six there in the Final Four. Baylor uh, got by Arkansas. They beat them by nine. Gonzaga destroyed USC 85-66. to 66, And UCLA surprised Michigan, beating them by two. They're the second-ever team to go to the first four to the Final Four. Uh, that BCU team with Shocker Smart, obviously, in 2011, being the only other one. Uh, This tournament as a whole has been very upset prone. I mean, obviously we have a double-digit seed in the final four. There have been 18 upsets through the Elite Eight going into the final four weekend. Um, And of course, we've talked about it before, 18 upsets on this podcast. Uh, Those upsets are if a team seeded at least three spots lower than the team above winning. Um, We had the highest ever seed total for a Sweet 16. Uh, None of these, I I believe only the first round, Uh, was set the record for most upsets in the first round. I'll need to check the numbers on that. Uh, But in terms of of total numbers, there are 18 upsets through the Elite Eight. The most all-time was 19 upsets in the 2014 year um, through the Elite Eight. Well, no, that's just through the whole tournament. So basically, if we are to see it eclipse that, we need UCLA to win the national championship, which I don't think that's going to happen. So the highest seed total ever for Sweet 16 happened this year. Uh, through all the seeds that played in the Sweet 16. Now, here's a question that I have uh, before we get into the Final Four preview and wrap this episode up. I want to keep it kind of short because we're already pushing time. But is this good overall? I know that we want chaos, and I know that in a lot of scenarios, we want upsets. And when we talk about the college football playoff as an example, we always want to see if that fourth team could be a team that could beat one. And if we already know that they can't, Why not give a little guy a shot, you know? We want to talk about expanding the playoff. Give smaller schools that are having great football seasons a chance. And I watched this video, and it was from John Boyce. I'm a John Boyce fan on YouTube. And it was his chart party of the NCAA tournament and all the losers that it uh, provides and how many teams make up the the total number of final four appearances. Uh, Stuff like that. And how... The way the tournament is designed in its nature can give, and this is all through experimental data because all this stuff has bit has happened and he's just revealing the trends of the tournament, double digit seeds, like the 10, the 11, and the 12, they have bigger uh, win percentages in the second round than they do in their first game, which is interesting to me, whether they're riding the high off their first round win, or it's just, their opponents underestimating them. I found it interesting. Uh, and that's where a team like an Oregon state can make it to the elite eight, um, or a team like UCLA can make it to, to the elite eight and eventually the final four. And my question is, is this sort of amount of chaos good? Because at the end of the day, who's to say an Illinois or Michigan, isn't the national champion. Uh, and again, and again, If you want to be the national championship, if you want to be the champion, just win your games. It's that simple. I know that. Um, But for a team, say like Houston, Houston has got to the final four and now they're running into Baylor. I mean, that seems like a pretty good uh, way to prove that you're the best team, you know, beat Baylor, beat like a Gonzaga. If you do that, it's fair to say Houston's the national champion, but when they get to the final four and they go through zero single digit seeds, they play the 15, obviously the two, then they play a 10, but then they play an 11 and 12 in the second weekend. I mean, I know that this tournament, usually seeds haven't mattering. I, I think that's a thing that a lot of people have been saying. Should, you know, are this, is this number of upsets good? Um, is it a good way to, see, when you see all these higher seed teams lose, lose and exit early, do you feel that it's still a good representation of who the national champion is? And do you think that reseeding is something that, the tournament should consider now. I will say from the out front, I enjoy chaos and I think that this is good. and I think that reconsider that reseeding is something that should be considered, uh, but I don't think it, nece- it is necessary. Uh, but I just want to get your opinions on this because I know that everyone's a big fan of March Madness and seeing the big dogs lose. But when it happens and when it happens to an extent, you know, it, do you think that there's a line for this? Um, and again, this is all just fun, I think that tournament is great the way it is uh but i just want to get your opinions because there could be differing opinions on this
1: uh, if you have something on this is on you can feel free because I, I i have my uh my take on it
2: definitely uh I, I was just gonna say for me uh i think that like daniel i th- i'm a huge fan of chaos so i you know even against my bracket, my prediction, my whatever, I will actively root for the underdog if they're, you know, if they're pulling close. Like um, Oral Roberts, I was—I that was pretty much America's team at that point. Everyone was just kind of rooting for them um, to upset Arkansas, and then you know, Arkansas incredible comeback in the second half. But um, but yeah, I think I think actively encouraging. Uh, or, or cheering on the the lower seeds. That's that's something that I really enjoy. And if if those teams are going up, like for example, Oral Roberts at 15, they had to face number two Ohio State, number seven Florida, and number three Arkansas. If you can get past those teams, I would you know be very confident in saying that they're a very good basketball team and then they should deserve to, you know, if they went on to win the whole thing, I, I would say that they deserve to be the national champions. Um, I don't think like we, we don't discourage uh, the higher, uh, sorry, the lower seeded teams um, for uh, f- like, if they, if they win, we don't really think anything of it. We just think, Oh yeah, well, number one, number two, even number three seed in the final it's, it's no big deal. Um, and we don't, uh, make a big, like we don't worry about that, but if a lower team, like say do, any, anything double digits, really, then we sort of this, the sort of conversation about reseeding comes in and for a team like Houston, who's faced uh, pretty much only double digit teams, if I remember correctly. Um, so claiming that it's some like easier road to the final. Yeah, they've played pretty well, but Rutgers and Oregon State gave them really good fights. And just because a team is lower seeded doesn't mean that they are any less worthy. I think that with the exception of maybe a couple teams in the tournament, anyone can truly compete. And I, I personally am not a fan of reseeding at all. You can obviously talk about it because I think it's good to reevaluate the state of your tournament uh, after a certain amount of time to see if it's still fresh, if it's still producing the results that you want. But personally, I'm not a fan of reseeding at all.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. So I mean, first of all, it's reseeding it just, to me, it doesn't quite make sense. The, there's a reason that some of these teams are ranked higher and lower. Um, mostly it's because of the, the strength of a conference and it's because of the strength of the team in that conference. That's why you had Ohio state as a two seed. It's because Ohio state was one of the best teams in the big 10 and with the big 10 as highly ranked as they are. That's kind of why they got there. Um, overall for these smaller seeds and upsets and Cinderella stories. First of all, let's, let's think about teams dominating like these, you know, quote unquote, like blue bloods, like the historical teams, the Kansas, UNC, Duke, Kentucky, do we always like to see those teams? Do we want to see always see those teams in the final four? No. Thinking about dynasties. Do we always did we want to see as a as an overall NFL like fan populace? Did we always want to see New England in the Super Bowl? No. Did we always want to see France in the World Cup? No. We don't we don't always want to see those teams succeed, which is fun when you see like Croatia in the 2018 World Cup making the final. That was incredible. We were all cheering for Croatia. When you see uh, in March Madness, VCU and UCLA, those double-digit seeds making the, uh, the final four, that's incredible. Uh, when you have, like, the New York Giants as the sixth seed going win the Super Bowl in the NFL, it's, in, it's incredible. It's those types of moments not only make it exciting for neutral fans, but make it ex- exciting for those fan bases. So, to me, it's, it's able to show kind of, like, the strength of some of these smaller uh, you know, divisions or countries or regions, and that's what really makes it exciting. I think reseeding would kind of kill that excitement. It doesn't matter that you beat all those teams; that doesn't quite necessarily say that you're that good. What the overall the March Madness? What it shows is in the regular season, you're able to show how strong you are. Yeah, like as I've said with the Big Twelve. Um, you have all these amazing basketball schools. Whoever wins the Big 12 is an incredible team. Baylor is an incredible team. But that doesn't mean that they're gonna be able to hold up against a team that wants to fight for more. That's gonna show more of that heart, more of that grit. That's what Oral Roberts showed. That's what UCLA has shown. And that's what some of these like, you know, other teams have been having upsets. Syracuse, when I can call that, like I that was one of those teams where it's like. I thought they'd have the heart, the passion, tournament drive, and they're going to be able to do well. And they did. It's one of those, like, it's very magical moments. We were all cheering for Sister Jean and Oral Roberts and all these teams that were upset. So reseeding not only kind of kills that, but then overall having the tournament set up as it is just makes it March Madness. March Madness it's one is
0: shining a- moment, if you will. Eh? 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 Anyone? Anyone?
1: <laughs> I mean, March, March Madness is- this spectacle and one of the most wonderful times of the year because of what it is and it's incredible to see these upsets so it shouldn't change nothing about it should change and the fact that we get upsets is incredible it gets to show that like these smaller conferences are growing and they're getting stronger and the teams there are able to compete with teams in the big 10 and the big 12 and the acc so yeah i i love upsets i love march madness i don't like reseeding keep everything how it is and hopefully these smaller conferences get even stronger it'll make things even more fun so love it all right well
0: i mean there you have it uh no i I definitely think i agree with you i think that um it just is designed that if you i don't want to put this if you're a team that succeeds in the regular season it's not exactly set up for you to have the easiest path and to be honest it should because i mean it's a national championship you want to make sure that the best teams come out on top um so yeah i think it's just a good dialogue i think it's a discussion that can be had um yeah. so yeah to wrap up this episode because we're uh getting a little long here again um we appreciate everyone for listening of course uh, let's get into the final four so the final four has come out and Colburn and I have made a couple of predictions over the last couple of podcasts. We flipped to a new final four when it came to sweet 16 weekend. And of course we both go Gonzaga Baylor. So we're both good on that spot. Um, but then out of the, out of the other regions uh, we both went with uh, the sister Jean train. And of course that got dispelled the first game of the weekend. Uh, and then I went to Michigan. I thought they were playing extremely well. Uh, and then, Colby Orton goes with Alabama, and of course UCLA, the Bill Walton Express, just steamrolls through both of us um, yeah. on their way to a Final Four. So the, the Final Four set, we got Gonzaga, UCLA, Baylor, Houston. I think we 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 all are on this on a similar page here uh, in terms of at least the Final Four. I know that we have a bit of a discretion when it comes to the national champion. Colby uh, uh, well, and go I. Game by game, then. What was that?
1: Let's go game by game then, and let's see who we all have.
0: Well, I mean, I, I know that we have at least gonzaga baylor at the championship i mean i know that you and i have gonzaga as national champions but sean you have a different national champion why don't you share that with us
2: yeah i uh i decided to go with baylor um i i actually didn't even make a, a new official bracket um during right before sweet 16 i went with my original which was uh, Gonzaga versus Florida State—that was the one I got wrong—and Baylor Houston, so that turned out pretty well. And um, I think Baylor had um, a pretty good regular season. Um, uh, I'll see if I can pull up who they played, but um, but yeah, I think in this tournament, especially the last two games, um, Flagler off the bench has been phenomenal. He was. Uh, pretty pivotal I think he scored the most points on the team in their win over Villanova and then in the last game they showed a lot of heart versus Arkansas they scored 46 in the first half Um, Teague went off I just think that they they have the offense to run with Gonzaga but they also have a strong enough defense where I think they could disrupt them and possibly mess with Gonzaga um, I mean, as you guys mentioned, you know, you have Gonzaga in the final. I do too. I don't, I while well, I admire UCLAs Cinderella run and I I will be rooting for them on Saturday, I just don't see them upsetting Gonzaga, but I think that if Baylor plays their cards right, they can definitely create a game plan where, with the players that they have, they can run with Gonzaga's offense and provide the defense necessary to keep them at bay. And I, I think for me, uh, my, the, the score is going to be in the high sixties, low seventies.
0: Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, this tournament, I like that you brought up the score there because I've been keeping track of this. This tournament, if you've been betting unders, this has been the tournament for you. This has been a tournament where that number is just being put a little bit too high each game. And I mean, Gonzaga has been able to score a lot, but it, um, it's just that their opponents can't really keep up and they're not hitting that uh, scoring line. Um, I feel like this whole season, at least from the beginning, it's always been the Gonzaga Baylor story. You know, the one and the two Baylor had a little bit of slip-ups there. So now we're arguing between, you know, Ooh, is Illinois or Michigan better than Baylor? Uh, but now they're both out of the tournament and Baylor looks like they're uh, to have a good game against Houston. Um, and it's, it's really unfortunate too, because COVID has taken a lot from us uh, when it comes to the college basketball season. And of course, one of the games that they took from us was the one, two matchup of Gonzaga Baylor way back in the, uh, the before conference game season. Uh, I want to say that game was back in December. Yep. Uh, I mean, I was looking forward to that game. That was going to be a great game, you know, out of conference. And then you could maybe get a rematch in the national championship, but this will, that would probably be the first time that they win. Of course, both teams have to get by their respective opponents. Um, I like Gonzaga uh, over Baylor just because Baylor's guards are terrific, but it's Gonzaga's mix of, guard play and big play. And I like Mark few in this spot more than Scott drew, even though I do really like Scott drew as a coach. Uh, I appreciate everything that Baylor's done. Um, but also at the end of the day, I mean, Jalen Suggs would be the best player on that court to me. And then of course you have uh, Timmy and Corey Kispert um, regardless of what T and Butler and the rest of those guys can do for, for Baylor. I think that Gonzaga's talent just shines through. I think it would be a close game, though. I think it could be – I mean, Gonzaga's not going to win that game by double digits if they were to win. That won't be a game that Gonzaga wins uh, by double digits. That will be a six-point Gonzaga victory. That comes down to a couple free throws at the end of the game. But it'll be a good game to watch. Um, I am expecting a Gonzaga blowout, though, of UCLA uh, on Saturday. So, yeah, I mean, Colby, if you have any – Last thoughts on that on this final four? Uh, I'd love to hear.
1: As, as you were saying, to kind of jokingly say, this isn't going to be a Kansas-Kentucky national championship of the one-two seeds, where one team is just so much more dominant than the other. This is going to be a really fun game um, between I think Gonzaga and Baylor. I mean, not to write off the other teams, but these two teams are just incredible. I mean, honestly, you kind of read my mind. I was going to bring up the, the point as well of we missed out on Gonzaga-Baylor um that COVID robbed us of that game and I remember that was one of the games that was not Kansas or Virginia Tech that like I really wanted to watch because I knew that was going to be exciting and that was going to have some uh uh, turn tournament stuff in mind before then it would have been incredible to have seen that game particularly now since I think we're going to see him in the national title game just to you know to have seen who would could have won but I agree with you I think this is a very well-rounded team for Gonzaga and for Baylor. It's really about the guard play. Um, And at the end of the day, I think it's going to come down to um, the fact of uh, kind of, as you guys have been saying, uh, we we saw in the BYU game in the the finals for Gonzaga's conference, um, BYU originally had the lead and then they just weren't able to keep up with as good as they were playing. Uh, I do think Baylor has the offense to keep up with Gonzaga but it is going to be a function of if Baylor can defensively make sure that Gonzaga can stay out of it. And I just don't think they can. Um, Jalen Suggs is an incredible player, but uh, Tame has also had an incredible tournament. And I think this is really going to be his game for Gonzaga. Um, but as I said, unlike Kansas and Kentucky is the one and two in the conference or in the NCAAs, this one and two game, I think is going to go down basically to the buzzer Um Originally I was, I had my doubts about Baylor. I've said it here on the pod. And I, I originally had like the score. I was like 84, 72 or something. And Gonzaga was just going to run away with it at the end. But my final score that I put in there and I'm going to stick to because of my final four teams, these two are able to survive. I think this is going to go down at the buzzer and it's going to be 72, 70 Gonzaga. All
0: right. Well, that should do it uh, for today's episode of the 3304 sports podcast. Sorry, we went a little long again today, but just a jam-packed show. Uh, maybe we'll try to keep it a little bit shorter next time. Be sure to check us out on Anchor and Spotify. Uh, so today we ran through the start of the MLB season, some NBA moves, some NFL draft news, uh, the United States men's national team and state of soccer in the USA, uh, some Virginia Tech news with Asia Shepherd, Jalen Cohn, and the Transfer Portal, some college basketball news as a whole, and of course, the Final Four coming up this weekend. We want to thank you all for listening to the 3304 Sports Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Twitter at 3304 Sports to get the latest news and highlights from 3304 Sports. For Ishan Lamba and Colburn Bergstrom, I'm Dan Steinbach. Thank you for listening and take care.